You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I am Marcus, and I'm back again, week 38 of the Q&A, the Grassroots podcast, aimed at those of you who are once again dusting off your old uh, Squire strats and your old Epiphone Les Pauls, because you don't want to get a Gibsons or Fenders just yet until you're sure there's going to be enough work. So um, back out playing again. Um, I'm looking forward to that as well. I've been out uh, playing a few of the day centres and doing a few little, just a few little shows here and there. I've got uh, four uh, shows in for next week, um, including a Saturday night performance, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, And your questions have been coming in again, and there's some good ones this week that I'm looking forward to answering. Once again, my disclaimer, as I always do every single week, is that my answers are based on uh, the questions you send in and the knowledge and equipment that I have used for over 30 years in this crazy job since I left school. And um, therefore, I've learned a few bits, and um, but I've also got a hell of a lot to still learn. So let's see. Let's start with a question from Barry. And Barry is in Kessinland, um, sort of towards Yarmouth, Barry. Well, I'm branching out a bit, mate. How are you, Barry? It's nice to hear from you. Hi, Marcus. As a fan of my Beatles myself, I've heard you mention the Beatles many times. I just wondered what their, what you thought of their solo careers and when is the right time to go it alone? Um, in fairness, Barry, I don't think this is a question about the Beatles. I think, yeah, I mean... Um, I think if we if we if we use the Beatles as an example, because they pretty much cover every every single thing, um, there will be bands out there at grassroots level, um, and musicians out there at grassroots level, who will have um, maybe members, uh, three or four members, and all of those members write songs, and then when it comes to selecting uh, the songs for the album, or the songs for the EP, or the songs to play live, you have a much bigger choice of um, material. But also, I think um, one of the pitfalls of that is that a lot of material doesn't get um, seen or doesn't get heard. And then there's a point where maybe one of the members of the band, if we, if we take the Beatles as an example, that um, <clears throat> that you had um, Lennon McCartney, of course, Right, who were the the seen as being the chief songwriters? But you know, George Harrison could write the song, um, and I think he would have felt every album that um, if the others were writing, you know, ten of the songs, and he was maybe contributing the other two, or I don't think he contributed anything on a hard day's night, and yet he was a songwriter. So everybody, you know, I've I've been in bands, and Wall to Wall was one of them actually, where my brother. Right, was writing the songs and, and once he would come in with his ideas we all kind of went well ours isn't as good as that that's strong stuff so we'll, we're happy to kind of take a bit of a back seat with that but it meant that we were all writing and in the end I think you fall into a trap where um, the main songwriter in, in Oasis it was Noel Gallagher in, in The Who it was um, Pete Townsend um, in The Stones it's Mick and Keith and um Kind of every single album, people think about the Beatles and they think Lennon McCartney. And they think, um, you know, Pete Townsend of The Who was a songwriter, Steve Harris, Iron Maiden. But actually, when you start reading through the credits, you find that there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the band all contributed different ideas. Um, but I think there is a frustration at all levels. And, and of course, I, I kind of work at grassroots level and I, I communicate with people at grassroots level. And... Um, 
one of the great things about being a solo artist is you can do anything you want to do. But if you're within a band or a group where you write songs and you always feel maybe a little bit that um, other people's ideas are chosen ahead of yours, then there's always going to be that frustration. Now, off the top of my head, um, usually there's a point in, in most of the, I'm going to use sort of uh, a few examples here, Iron Maiden, Bruce Dickinson, um, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath. I think there's a point where you you kind of, um, you have so many ideas and you want to explore them and you can't really explore them um, within the, 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 the boundaries of the band. And um, I think sometimes it's important that you're able to branch out. And in this day and age, it's a little bit easier because you can have your demos and you can release stuff. And I think there's, as the frustration starts to build up, um, if your band is fairly successful, let's say fairly successful, I mean at grassroots level, all right? So a lot of people know who you are, um, but don't actually know, you know, know the band. And maybe you're, maybe you're selling 150, 200 tickets a gig. Then enough people know who you are. And if you're the front man and you're always singing somebody else's songs, I think there's going to be that frustration where if you're a songwriter, you think, well, I want to sing my songs. And, um, you know, a few of these people know who I am and they know who I am because of the band that I front or the band that I'm in. So if I, re if I release a solo album, a few people are going to know who I am and I might be able to get some of these ideas because they kind of build up. And then um, there's a point where they become, it becomes frustrating, I think. Um, and it didn't, you know, it didn't become frustrating f for me personally. Um, but I wasn't the chief and, I, and I've never been the, the, the main songwriter in any of the projects that I've really worked on other than the matching. Um, and, 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 you know, there's a point where you think, well, I'm writing all of these songs because songs uh, uh, and ideas are coming to me. So I'm getting these ideas um, and then I'm turning them into songs. And when it, you know, eventually you have this backlog of songs that kind of, keep tapping you on the shoulder and when um when there's um particularly a, a, you know international level that's slightly different because there's record companies involved there are there are directors involved and if if the Beatles are getting together then at the end of the day they, they wanted pretty much as many songs as they could by that partnership Lennon McCartney because it was tried and tested it's like the Stock Aitken and Waltman thing in the 80s probably each each member of those three um, probably wrote some great songs on their own, but but when it came to selling the songs, people were saying we want Stock Aitken and Walkman, we want those three. Um, I don't know for sure, but I'm just it's, you know it's just a general idea, and I think um, people always associate one one member of the band as being the, the the songwriter, but actually that's not you know that isn't the case, um, and I think in the end, the time that you feel you should go it alone. Um, is maybe when you feel that you have so much material and it's good enough to stand on its own. It's not something that you would write and you would say, um, well, or, or maybe it's in a different style to the band and maybe you want to explore something else. Um, in the case of Iron Maiden in 1990, you had an Iron Maiden album that came out, I think, in about the October or November. And earlier that year, you had a Bruce solo album. His first album, um, Tattooed Millionaire, had come out. So you had uh, two two albums out at the same time. One that was a, a solo effort by the lead singer of Iron Maiden, and the other one was a, an album by Iron Maiden. Um, and I think, if I'm honest... Once that happened, a bit like, you know, um, in, in, in other situations, once that happened, I think I remember thinking as a fan of, of the band, um, 
Well, the, you know, Bruce's album was great. Uh, they're both, be fair, both albums are great, but but Bruce's album was really, really good. And I remember thinking, if this ends up being fairly successful, then will he, you know, because obviously as, as a fan, I was concerned. I'm thinking, well, you know, is, is he going to leave Iron Maiden if his stuff is good enough? And ultimately, he did. Um, but I, th- there are other reasons, and I would be ignorant and naive to suggest that, that you know, that, or, or to even give my opinion on that. But I remember thinking as a fan... Um, he's doing something on his own. And usually when somebody does something on their own, um, in, in the case of, let's say, the Rolling Stones can play anywhere. But if Mick does a solo tour, he's pretty much at Brixton Academy. You're not going to see him at Wembley because they are enveloped under that name. It's the Rolling Stones that sell tickets. It's the Who that sell tickets. It's the Beatles that sell tickets. It's not... It, it, it's Oasis, and although with Oasis in the, in the more modern times, people are you know paying to see Liam and paying to see Noel separately, um, they are pretty much paying to see them um, in. Uh, I, I would say, you know, certainly um, the 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 usual venues, the Wembley arenas, the O2s, and stuff like that. If Oasis reform, if ABBA reform, if the Jam reform, if um, you know, when the Eagles reform, when the Who get back together again, they could play anywhere, you know, because of that supply and demand, that huge, they could play a stadium, they could play a park somewhere, huge. Um, and I think as a songwriter, in the end, um, you want to explore your own um, art. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think um, sometimes the, the time to go it alone, Barry, is when you feel that your ideas and your contributions are being shot down by the band. That doesn't mean that you can't still be in that band, um, but if it matters enough to you and if you feel that your material is strong enough, then by all means, you know, just say to the lads, look, I want to do something. I think you have to have a, um, a fairly good fan base if you've been in a band for a while in order to step away from that and still be able to um, move in those circles because, you know, no band at grassroots level is going to want you to step away from them and then use their website to promote your own album or use, you know, use use their shows to promote your stuff. I think um, they're all going to be quite protective of what they do and where they play. But um, the, the important thing is... Um, when the right time to go it alone is when it feels like you should and when you feel um, that maybe all good things have come to an end. Um, You did ask me what I thought of the Beatles solo careers. It's inevitable that it was going to happen. You've got those people, those four legends of music, and the band isn't there anymore, and what what do they do? They still have. Um, They were the most famous people in the world at that time. And... You know, of course, they're going to carry on writing songs and and doing what they do. And um, it's not for me to suggest who was better and who was who did what and who did that. That you know, I think you can all go away and explore uh, the Beatles solo stuff. And people, the, the stupid videos on YouTube. You know, the, um, the there's a there's a, a I stumbled across it the other day. And you've got the red album and the blue album, and this is the green album, which is kind of a uh, a bit of a mixture of all of their solo songs all together. Well, what a waste of time, really. You know, what's the what's the point? Going, you know, I, I love John Lennon's solo stuff. I love Paul McCartney's solo stuff. I, I like George Harrison's album, All Things Must Pass, and things like that. 
that they were all geniuses in their own um, way. Like Queen, I suppose. They were all geniuses. Um, they were all they all wrote, uh, probably with the exception of Ringo, although he subsequently has a, had a lot of success. But they all wrote successful songs and um, songs that sold lots of records, uh, lots of made you know made lots of sales. So um, once the band wasn't there anymore, due to whatever situation, and again I'm not going to be ignorant enough to guess at what it was. Of course they carried on making music because. Uh, like Elton John said a few years ago, I have a career that's not going away. If he suddenly walks away from music or decides to do something else, he's only going to get hounded by people who want him to record another album. So he can't be anonymous. The Beatles can't be anonymous. The great thing about grassroots music is that we can be anonymous, really. We can play our show and we can say thanks very much, good night, and then say goodbye to a few people and then go shopping the next day and nobody's going to annoy us. So... It's right when it feels right, and if you're a, you're a songwriter and your ideas are not getting accepted by the rest of the band, and in the end it, the frustration starts to build, see if there's an amicable way of you recording something or stepping away and doing something on your own. Um, but you have to be careful that the band don't feel you're using their platform and their gig list, and you know, in, in order to build yourself up. And if you're the front man. Um, You've got to be careful then that the band don't think, well, you're going to go live with your own stuff and start playing our stuff because that's what you're known for. So you have to weigh up a few things. But um, I hope that um, you never have to make a decision like that, Barry. And I hope that if you are a songwriter, that you're a busy songwriter and you write lots of songs and and they're all really, really good anyway, mate. But um, thank you very much for your question. It's, It's always nice to hear from new people. Thank you. Innovation Studios, hoodies, many colours and sizes available. Our logo proudly emblazoned on the front. The back can be personalised with your name or your nickname, or anything you want as long as it isn't too shocking. Click to order online, www.innovationstudios.com. Sonia from Cambridge. Hi Marcus, what are the best lyrics you've ever heard and which are the worst? (laughs) Well again... Um, it's not for me to point the finger at anybody in particular, but it's an opportunity for me to probably just um, have an opinion, and I think I'll, I'll do it in the nicest way I can. Uh, I think that one of the best lyrics I've ever heard is from A Thousand Trees by the Stereophonics. Um, and it's it takes one tree to make a thousand matches. It takes one match to burn a thousand trees, which I think is brilliant it may be an old saying it may be something they picked up on I, I don't know but whatever it is that's the first time I'd heard that expression um and so there we are I think the worst lyrics um well I don't know <laughs> if I'm honest um probably um peaches in a can were put there by a man um that's one of them peaches in a can were put there by a man I'd say that's one of the worst I've ever heard um, do you know, I think what certain things that make me cringe, there are certain lyrics out there that make me cringe, but look, I never made as much money as those people, so I'm not going to pass judgment on it, but I will say, um, that they are the, my two answers really. I think peaches in a can were put there by a man. I, I think that's pretty much the worst lyric that I've ever heard, but I wouldn't mind, um, probably a, a hundredth of the royalties that they got for that. So look, they ain't got to worry about me 
and my little opinion. But uh, it, it seemed like a fun question to answer, Sonia. So I hope you liked it. Uh, Matthew doesn't say where you're from, Matthew. He just says, I play guitar. Should I learn scales? It's always important to know scales, um, Matthew. It's always important that um, you know what the guitar does and also what, um, what the notes are that you're playing. If you're looking to play lead guitar, it's always important that you learn a pentatonic or you learn a blues uh, scale. Um, and of course, there are other musicians out there and other guitar players who would say there's this scale and that one. And so all scales are beneficial. Um, but I, th I think in, in fairness, all of those guitar players would agree that somewhere along the line, um, music doesn't become about playing scales. It becomes about um, knowing what the scales do, but it becomes about um, being expressive and finding your own way. And um, I think, again, most of them hopefully would agree that a lot of the the the, the, the most popular music and the most and the biggest solos of all time. So things like Stairway to Heaven, the solo from that, uh, the the solo from um, Another Brick in the Wall are all based on pretty much the the blues scale or the, or the blues pentatonic scale. Um, I think also there are certain things, but I mean, but great guitar players learn the scales and learn the jazz scales and learn because they're able to incorporate it in. And if you look at um, just picking a couple of guitar players off, off Pat, um, somebody like Brian May, who, who I consider the ultimate guitar machine, by the way, I just sort of put that out there. Um, plays a lot of major scales in the Queen stuff. You know, it's a lot of major scales. Um, and Slash, actually, from Guns N' Roses, plays a lot of blues um, pentatonic, but actually throws a couple of jazz scales in there. Uh, Mark Knopfler from uh, Dire Straits, or Mark Knopfler, as he, as he basically, because he's basically he's his own, um, you know, his own, um, what would you say, brand these days. Um, plays a lot of classical little pieces and little minor scales and things like that so I think it's important to know them so you can find them and then being able to uh, bring them into different music but I think most of solos or most things that you have um, I don't think anybody would really play a solo on something and say oh, I think I'll play this in um, jazz or I think I'll play this in um, you know this particular scale or I think I'll play a major scale on this I think you just play something that you think fits what's you know what what's in front of you um and when you play that maybe somebody else or maybe afterwards you might suddenly say oh, i think i played that around the major scale but it never hurts matthew to know what you're playing and it never hurts to learn scales because scales and things like that will all um get the fingers moving and we'll all work on plectrum technique and we'll all work, work on using the right fingers at the right time and we'll work on speed and dexterity and so never a bad thing but i i, I if i'm honest um, my opinion, my podcast, all right, deal with it. Um, I think if you learn um, scales, um, but you don't actually learn anything except how to play scales, you'll get left behind. You need to know how to play the scales to get the hands moving. But a better understanding is to just play and find what you can find. And then maybe afterwards work out what's what. Um, but, you know, there are probably guitar teachers out there who would, what you know but really um i've always found and and the people i've worked with at grassroots level and, and indeed at, at um you know national level worked on with, with some other guitar players a lot of them actually probably didn't know what they were playing they just wrote something and it sounded right 
So it's important to know them from a practice point of view, but I don't think if you didn't learn them, I don't think it would it would impede you in any way on your career. It just my it, it's just sometimes a good way and a good knowledge to have. So I would advise that you learn them, but don't rely on them too heavily, Matthew. Cheers, mate. Uh, Lenny from Whittam. Hi, Marcus. If a venue cancels at the last minute, can you ask for a fee? To be fair, Lenny, very rarely, mate. Um, I think if there's a contract, but usually if there's a contract, there's an agent involved. And usually if there's an agent involved, the agent usually takes care of that. Um, and yeah, I mean... I, I think I'm not I'm not I can't point the finger at anybody but I'm saying it's very rare that the artist sees any of that contractual sort of stuff because it's usually an agreement between you and the agent and usually an agreement between the agent and the venue so if there if there is a cancellation fee it's usually payable to the agent um, so it's very rare that you and, and that's not to say that you know that's not knocking agents or anything like that they, I, I don't know what they what they actually arrange or how they deal with it my um, arrangement is with them most of the shows that you that you have if there's a cancellation last minute you know you'd be lucky if if uh, they they still paid you and you can you can try and put that in a contract and you could you know but most of the venues that at grassroots level it's cash on the night and for me it's been cash on the night for 30 years and you know what it might be worth mentioning that um a lot of the venues we played who have dealt with some of the other artists, like the tribute artists, who have had that in their um, contract when they send it through. Look, for every hour we sit around, we want £100. They haven't used them very much. So they've preferred to... But, you know, Over the years, I think... And, and I've, I don't know how many shows I've played. It's, it's over 4,000 anyway. It's about 4,200. I don't know. I'll have to go through the diaries. But um, I think... Only, only probably once have I ever been paid for a show that I didn't play. Um, and only once um, have I not been paid for a show that I did play. Um, but eventually that was sorted out. We eventually got some money through with that. So, um, But at the time we played the show and we haven't got enough money in the till to pay you. We've had a really, really bad night and... Um, and all that happens is you just don't, you know, you put it down to experience and you think, okay, well, I'll learn that. And I think as time goes on and, and as the years go on and, and as the um, your knowledge goes on, you you walk straight into a venue and think, don't like to look at, I don't think we'll get paid here. But I've been lucky and, and I'm touching wood as I speak to you that it won't happen in, uh, real soon. But um, usually, Lenny, no. You, you won't get a venue because they, they'll say, well, we've, we've lost loads of money as well. You know, we can't afford to... Um, sometimes you might get a venue that might uh, have a problem or might have a power cut and you've played half your set and they might say, can I pay you for what you did? Um, but it's just one of those things in music. And I know there are people who say, well, you, you're entitled to have this and you're entitled to have that. But they usually... Um, either don't last very long in the business um, or don't last very long at the venue. Because the venue is saying, no, he didn't even do anything. He only did 20 minutes and it was a power cut. And and the people, they're totally disregarding the fact that you've driven there and you've, you know, I, I'm, I'm on both sides on this, right? I, I look at it and I think, if I am the artist and I've driven there and I've set up and I'm ready to go and there's a power cut, 
Why shouldn't I get paid? But the answer is I haven't done the job. And if someone comes around to clean your car and only does half the job and then it rains and they go, or somebody's building your house and they come around to build a, a, a brick wall for you and say, well, I'll get it done today, invariably you pay them when they've completed the job. And music is the same. You, people don't expect to pay you until you've completed the job. They might pay you a deposit and you might, you know, you might say go down that road, which is, um, you know, if you're playing a private do or something like that, they might pay you a deposit and maybe sort of, uh, I don't know, 25% of your fee or 50% and the other 50% payable on the night. But I think really most of the musicians that I communicate with, and I would say most of the musicians that listen to this podcast at this level will probably say, well, you know, you go, you do your job and then you get paid at the end of the night. You'll always get little things happen. You know, unfortunately, it's part of that. But if you're a plumber or a painter and decorator, you'll have people who try not to pay you or try and get a discount or try and look for th- look for reasons not to pay the full price. Um, and certainly if you're a car salesman, you'll have that. People always trying to bid you down and that. So um, I don't think a venue has ever paid me because they've let me down at the last minute. And, and over the years, uh, for, for various different reasons and things like the pandemic and stuff like that, um, shows were cancelled but I don't think you really had an argument because you just couldn't play them and and um, you know I, I think that you shoot yourself in the foot if you've got a few venues that you like playing and then they say we need to cancel you because the the guidelines have changed if you turn around and say well, we're not coming back unless we get our money for Saturday night because we plan to do it um, then you're not going to end up at that venue for you know I don't think you'll you'll be playing there again um, which is I don't know. I don't know if it's fair or not, but that's the way it works. Um, I think if um, it, you know, it, venue's not going to ring you. At, they might ring you at seven o'clock and say we've had a power cut, but invariably they'll say we've had a power cut. It'll still come because if the power comes back on, you can go on later. Um, so you, in that situation, I, I don't know. But in in all honesty, I don't think that you can expect to get paid. Um, if a venue cancels you at the last minute. It's just an unfortunate way that this business works at grassroots level. Music tuition online. Have your guitar, bass, mandolin, vocal tuition, even production live online. One-to-one tuition via Skype or alternative streaming media. Learn from the safety of your own home. For further information, please contact us at Innovation Studios at www.innovationstudios.com. Danny from Upminster. Hi, Marcus. What song defines you? Um, I don't know. I think uh, different different songs on different days, Danny. Um, I think it's important that everybody um, knows that that sometimes music can say it better than... um, you know, than you can. Um, I don't know, really. I, I don't, I don't, I haven't really thought about that, whether there's a song that actually, um, that I would give somebody and say, have a listen to this, because it's all about how I am and how I think and how, you know, how I do things. Um, but of course, there are couples that have songs that, that, um, for, you know, uh, first, first dances, because it made a difference, maybe a song for a different reason. So they're all different um situations and all different scenarios i always used to think that um family man by roachford defined me because it you know it kind of but but actually it didn't 
it's just it defined the image that I liked portraying. You know, you used to be a rogue and that's no lie. Um, but actually it didn't define me really because I was actually quite boring away from the stage. Um, it's just always good if people think you live the rock and roll uh, life. But um, at grassroots level, well, I don't think you've got the money to have um, the excesses of, of fame and, and hopefully not, not too many excesses anyway because, um, you know, mo most of you need to get up and get, get to work on a Monday morning, so don't overdo it over the weekend. But um, I'd be interested to know what song defines you, um, Danny, but um, I, I don't know, to be honest with you, mate. I, um, I, I can't think of, of anything that really... There are songs that, that um, I play and uh, that are about people and you think, you know, this is an unbelievable... Um, you know, you, sometimes you get the goosebumps when you're listening to something. If it's about a situation, or if it's um, if it, if it's relevant to a certain situation, but I don't know if there's a song that defines me really. I might have to write one, um, write one myself. But um, I'll have a think about that one, and uh, maybe I'll I'll give you a proper answer next week, Danny. I won't forget you, but mate, but um, can't can't think if I'm honest. I'm trying to think as as I sit here now, trying to think of all the matching songs. Um, yeah, sometimes to, maybe talking out the turn is a, is a little bit um, about me. Um, oh, no, I can't. I, I really can't um, can't think of anything that's directly about me or any songs that, that define me. Um, there are songs that I played that you become synonymous with. Um, I think for years I'd sing Mustang Sally and then when the band did that and people would say, are you going to do that tonight? Because people know who you are. And, and, and ironically enough, um, at a lot of the venues that I play, um, when I play them acoustically, a few of them, they'll always say to me, you've got to play Ernie, which is the Ernie the fastest milkman in the West. Um, so if if I'm, you know, if people are out there going, what? It was just something I did once for a bit of fun and, you know, it kind of, I did it in a couple of venues and it spread like wildfire. And I, I, it was just one of those things that people started saying to me. I, I saw, I saw, uh, it's not even there anymore, but I saw your YouTube video of Ernie. Can you do it when you come and play here? And can you play uh, and book me for their wedding and say, can you finish with Ernie? And you think like, really? Really? Um, so that was kind of following me around for a while. But I don't think I'd want to be remembered as somebody who just played a Benny Hill song at the end of the night. <laughs> um no, I'll have a think on it, Barry, but um, look, thanks for taking the time to listen and thanks uh, for taking the time to send your question. I'm I'm sorry I couldn't answer it, mate, but um, maybe I'll be able to answer it next week. Peter in Thundersley says, Hello, Marcus, I play the mandolin, but I just wondered how important is it to follow the chord charts precisely? Um, hello, Peter. I think in honesty, um, music... And guitars, uh, guitars in particular, but I think all musical instruments um, are a little bit like, uh, I remember chat, chatting to someone the other day and I said that in the 80s, all the cricket coaches um, were all instructing people to, to, to stand like Graham Gooch because he stood a certain way with his bat already in the air. Um, and therefore, because he was scoring loads of runs, people saw it as being the way to bat. Um, and then, you know, Graham Hick came along and stood the same way and didn't get so many runs at international level. And people started saying, well, that doesn't work, that technique. But the truth of it is it worked for one person. And it worked for one, um, you know, one, one person's style. It's a little bit like everybody who played darts would stick their finger out like Eric Bristow because they thought that that's the way to do it. That's the way to play darts. 
but it isn't. I think everybody that wants to take take a snooker cue and, and wanted to be a bit reckless played like Alex Higgins, but it worked for him. It didn't work for anybody else. And I think um, chords can be played um, as long as they sound right and as long as you are playing the right strings and the right um, shape. If you think of chords as being a shape rather than being three individual fingers or four individual fingers, there are people I've met over the years who play an A chord. So, so those of you who play guitar at the moment, think about your, your guitars, an A chord. And some people have said that you play an A with the um, first finger on the um, fourth string, second fret, and then the other two behind it. Other people have said that you play an A with just a flat, like ACDC, play an A with a flat finger across all three and deaden in the first. So you kind of groove, you put your first finger on there. Other people have said that you play a bar chord on the fifth fret. And other people have said that you put your first finger in the middle, so you, you effectively put the first finger on the third string, second fret, and then the second finger on the one above and the third finger on the one below, and you make a little triangle, which is, I like that A. Other people have said they play A with a second, third, and fourth finger. But ultimately, when you strum it, it all sounds the same. So I don't think it's important that you follow the chord charts absolutely precisely. I taught a young man... Um, for about three or four months before he went on off to, to university, and he was called Hassan. And he had a, a finger missing. Um, he had his, I'm trying to think of it now, he had the second finger, the middle finger missing on his left hand. Um, and he came to me because he said, I wanted to learn guitar, but he said, you know, you can't really type something like that into uh, YouTube because you don't really know. So he said, I'm looking at the chord charts, and he said, I just don't know if I'd be able to do it. And I thought, well, if I spoke to somebody who'd played guitar for years, you might be able to help me. So we we found a way of playing as many chords as we could, um, and in, in various different ways. And uh, he was really happy, and, I, and of course I wish him all the best. He went off to, I think it was Leeds University, and if he's listening in, I hope he's still playing. But... Um, we found a way, and you can find a way. See, the, the, the chord charts don't allow for something like that. The chord charts don't allow for people who maybe have had, um, either have had an accident or have, have you know, don't have um, five or four working fingers. Sometimes, um, you, you you know, whatever, accident at work or whatever, but, but you still want to play your guitar. So... You know, um, I think the chord charts are there as a guide of what strings to push down. But I think the ones that have the numbers on of what finger to use, um, I don't think are as beneficial because I think um, you need to find your own way of playing. Um, my way of playing an A is put the first finger in the middle and that's it. And I get a stronger sound. But for years I've played the ACDC A, which was just a flat finger. Nobody had ever come up to me and said, why do you play your A like that? Because the end result was that's how it sounded. There are golfers that swing the club in different ways. There are cricket cricketers um, that bowl in different ways. There are darts players that hold the dart in different ways. There are snooker players that, that line the queue up in different ways. Um, and I'm sure that um, there are... Uh, even taking Ringo Starr as being a left-handed drummer on a right-handed kit, it was just he found a way of doing it, which is why a lot of people... I can't sound like Ringo. It's just that's the way he played. I don't know. You know, it's just something I read. Again... Um, but um, the point is that everybody has to find their own way of doing what they've got to do. David Attenborough said um, when he was asked about his, his career, he said, um, 
I always see every animal as having the same problems that I have. They've got to go out. They've got to go to work, effectively. They've got to find a way of feeding the kids, and they've got to find a way of keeping them safe. And he said, and the various ways that they're able to do that is what makes it fascinating. But ultimately, all they're doing is they're doing the same as us. They're going out. They're doing what they have to do. They're building a house or, or keep it, making a safe environment for their kids, and they're feeding them. And he said, and what the only thing they're doing is the different ways that they're able to do that is what makes it fascinating. Because if they all did it the same way, there'd be nothing to watch. So my point, Peter, is find your way. Find uh, the way that suits you. And if it doesn't, if it isn't exactly to the letter what the, what the called book says, but it sounds right, there's nothing wrong with that. It's what it sounds like. And as long as the strings that are not supposed to be dead are sounding right as long as the open strings are open and the and the closed uh, strings are closed and as long as the thumbs wrapping around to, to deaden the bottom string um it's right that's the thing to remember is that there is no guidebook when you're trying to work with somebody and it, you know of any instrument there's no guidebook there's no definite way to do it because the most successful or the most legendary sportsmen and the most legendary figures over the years have had to find their way of communicating, their way of of um, doing it, because maybe they couldn't do it the same way as everybody else. And usually they're successful. Alex Higgins, everybody knows who he is. And they know who he is because he didn't follow the guidebook. He did whatever he wanted to do. And, uh, you know, there you are. And, and I'm sure Eric Bristow and all these people, these legends of sport and legends of probably Olympians. There are probably Olympians. You think about that. You, like, like the first time they saw the Fosbury flop. Probably thought, what's this? Who's this guy? But you know what? He, he, he found a way of getting over that bar. If you don't know, go and Google. I think it's a Fosbury flop, which is, I think he was the first. I think it's Dick Fosbury, but I, I'm, I might be wrong. Was the first person to actually leap over the high jump in that particular way. Um, everybody else had been throwing themselves over it forwards and he comes along and does something new and everyone goes, wow, what's that about? So he found a way of getting over the bar. So Peter, find your way of getting over the bar. Find your way of getting the end result because nobody's going to tell you it's wrong, least of all me, all right, because I've told you to do it that way. (laughs) Thanks for your question, mate. I I wish you luck with it. Leslie in Corringham says, Hello, Marcus. My grandson is compiling a mission statement for his music in order to hopefully follow it through can you give him any advice on what he needs to aim for or maybe some questions that he needs to ask himself in order to better understand his own output goodness me leslie um the things that he needs to uh think about some of these questions some of these things sound the same but i'm just saying these are the things that maybe you need to think about as an artist if you're trying to because you will have to communicate with agents you will have to communicate with venues you will have to communicate with maybe hopefully record companies or or labels or um you know studios and i think it's good to know anyway even if you're communicating with a studio to know what you're you know to to give somebody a better idea of um what they uh, of of what they're getting into so if somebody says to me look i want to do some recording and i'll say to them okay what sort of stuff is it it's good to know that because it, the the stock answer is, well, it's my own stuff, really. We don't really sound like anybody. No, yes, you do. All right. Because you give me five minutes and I'll tell you who you sound like. So you might as well do that first before you have the embarrassment of an old git like me saying to you, oh, you just sound like Mick Hucknall. Um, 
So I think um, the important thing I don't you didn't I don't think you said your your grandson's name Leslie, but there there are five little bits of advice that I've got here. I think I think it's five. It might might be more because you know what I'm like if you've listened in before. Your first question in order to better understand your music is, who do you sound like? Okay, so it's okay to admit. So well, you know when I sing, I sound a bit like this or I sound a bit like Mick Jagger or I sound a bit like who do you sound like because everybody sounds like somebody or everybody at least you know has although there are some unique voices out there um, off the top of my head if you took uh, Mark Knopfler and Chris Rear and swapped them over on one night and didn't tell anybody half the people in the audience wouldn't realize uh, who was singing and who wasn't if you took Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze and took uh, Neil Finn from Crowded House and swapped them over on one night Probably half the audience wouldn't notice. And to be honest, some of the gigs I've been to, half the audience wouldn't notice if you had a cardboard cutout of the singer and <laughs> because they're so off their face. Um, but um, that's that's always something that, that's worth knowing. Who do you sound like? Who do I sound like? Um, because I know there are influences there, but when you sing, who do you sound like? Um, and it's okay to say, oh, I sound a bit like Amy Winehouse or something like that, because nobody's going to go, oh, yeah, you should be so lucky. We say, well, that's who, that's who I hear when I'm singing. That's what I think I sound like. Somebody else might say, oh, no, it's more Billie Holiday, or it's more Adele, or it's more, you know, uh, whatever. But um, it, that's an important thing, um, uh, Leslie. Um, something else that's worth um, thinking about, and when, when, I, when I say about the who do you sound like, I think also um, your influences, um, because... In terms of your influences, you know, you, you, you've got to come from somewhere. So who do you sound like is really, when you listen to it, it's, oh, I wrote that and that sounds a bit like this band that I was into or this singer that I was into. So the next thing that's handy to, to think about, Leslie, is um, who are your favourite current artists? Because um, because the way that the, the, the music is passed on from generations, there are bands that take their influences from somewhere else. But I think a lot of people these days, and particularly if you're looking for something modern, and particularly if you're trying to get some play on the radio, maybe a, a, an internet radio or a web radio, or even local radio, or even national radio, right? If, if you move in the right circles, and if you're lucky enough, you need to know which sort of modern artist you sound like. So, um, you know, I, I think if you, if you said, well, I, I sing like Billie Holiday, for instance... Then you would say, well, you know, in this it, probably in this generation it would be Amy Winehouse, and then you'd look at it and you'd say, okay, well, I think I sound like the Beatles, but in this generation it's probably more Oasis, um, because the the music is kind of passed down, and 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 I think that the uh, it's important sometimes to know that the music you listen to, maybe the old school artists, it's important to type their name into Google now and again and see who cites them as an influence. Because it might just be your favourite band. And then you're thinking, okay, well, that crosses over. So in that case, the stuff I write is based on, let's say, Scouting for Girls. And Scouting for Girls admitted when I saw them live that one of the songs they'd based on Stacey's Mum by uh, Fountains of Wayne, um, because that was a song that they really, really loved. So you think, okay, so the songs that I'm writing are in the style of Scouting for Girls, but maybe it would have been 20 years ago, it would have been punk rock or whatever i don't know what you want to call it but that's it's that kind of thing it's always handy to know so who are your favorite current artists i think um also when you another thing to get you thinking about what you do is um how do you see yourself as an artist 
um do you see yourself as um you know as a as a uh, serious artist do you see yourself as a um dedicated um follower of trend do you see yourself as maybe a somebody who wants to save the planet do you see yourself as somebody who's pretty much going to write songs about nothing else except what the, the, you know the environment do you see yourself as a political um songwriter but you know i think how do you see and also how do you see yourself as an artist what what necessary genre what what festival would you want to headline what um what group of of fans what group of uh, other bands would you want to be um with and how do you see yourself as an artist is um is important because that leads you to the next uh, little question, which is how do you want to be seen as an artist? So although they sound like the same question, how you perceive what you do and how somebody else perceives what you do are two completely separate things. So if you want to be seen as somebody who wants to, to, to write songs about saving the planet, which there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, I'm not, I don't say that in a sneery way, then you've got to understand that if, you're going to be, if you want to or you see yourself as somebody who can do that, you're going to understand that there will be people who will say, "Okay, well, uh, how, how do I see? How do I see that? Do I see that as somebody who's telling me that I should be washing out my marmite pots, or do I see that as somebody who really believes strongly in in something that they're doing?" So, I think in order to better know your music, um, ask yourself how you see yourself as an artist and how do you want to be seen as an artist. And then the final thing to think about is where do you eventually want to end up so where you know the the mission statement is always important and i know it's going to be wembley stadium i know it's going to be this i know it's going to be that but sometimes where do you want to end up do you want to be somebody who years from now walks away maybe you only want to do there might be a 10-year plan to give it everything and then to say okay i'll get a job when i'm you know 31 32 or you might say, okay, well, look, if I don't succeed in music, maybe I'll get involved, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm not a songwriter, maybe I'll get involved in music as um, an agent or as uh, maybe I, I might make enough from from uh, a couple of tours to look look at it and say, I think I'll step away from the music now and I think I'll I'll build a studio where I can work on work with the next generation of musicians. Think about where you're, he- where you're heading. So I would say, who do you sound like? Who are your favourite current artists? How do you see yourself as an artist? How do you want to be seen as an artist? And where do you eventually want to end up? Think about that before you, th- you think about, um, you know, before you write your mission statement. Because mission statement's pretty simple, really. To do the best you can, to make as much as you can, to meet as many people as you can, and to go as far as you can. But some people don't want the Wembleys. They don't want the, uh, the, the O2. They want to do clubs and they want to still be in touch with the people and earn enough that they can live comfortably and pay their mortgage without having to have the paparazzi uh, outside their front door every, every morning when they wake up. So um, I hope that helped, Leslie. And, and of course, I wish him all the best. And I am always here at Innovation Studios if um, he needs to ask my advice directly. You can email me. Innovation Studios UK at Gmail. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on uh, Facebook. There's also a grassroots page on Facebook. And of course, every Friday at six o'clock, I'm here. I've got some interviews which I, I keep saying I'm going to do, but I am going to sort out. So they'll be coming up in the next uh, month or, or so. 
Um, probably got another couple of weeks of Q&A first because I'm starting to get your questions again as you you start walking back out and going back out to play your shows again. Maybe there are a few issues coming out that you uh, you need to be um, advised on. Uh, you know, it seems to be the case. People are saying, oh, I've played this place and they've said this. and So you never know what you're going to get. Um, anyway, look, thanks very much for your questions again. www.innovationstudios.com is the website for the studio. Um, grassroots every Friday at 6pm advice for unsigned artists anyway look that's enough from me okay thanks for listening in for, an- for another week thanks for being me mate a big shout out to Oz who um, got on to me last week and mentioned um, about the Mona Lisa twins um, that he'd um, he'd heard of them and he'd, he knew of them because of something else so um, nice of him to get in touch and and, um, and uh, thanks for listening in mate alright Um, Take care of yourselves. I'm out of here, all right? Yours in music, signing off. Bye-bye for now.